Welcome. Welcome back to the podcast, Hope for the Broken Leader. I'm Paul Alexander, the president of Hope International University in Fullerton, California. We are a 95-year-old university specializing in raising up Christian leaders for the church and society to make a difference in the world because of what Jesus has done in our lives. I have an interesting background that explains uh, this series and this podcast series. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in preaching, a master's in marriage and family therapy, and a license in marriage and family therapy. And my doctoral degree is in leadership studies, organizational leadership. So those three things don't make a lot of sense, but they actually do work well for the series. Today, I'm talking about a very unique part of the makeup of most Christian leaders. And that is, we tend to have in common the fact that we were, when we were younger, often known as hero children, or the golden child, or the responsible one, or the conscientious one. And I'm calling this the heavyweight of giftedness, because most of you, especially as you go into senior leadership, have always been leaders. Uh, you led things when you were 10 and 12 and 15, and, and in high school and college you were in leadership positions, and by the time you got into your career, you naturally led. And that's a blessing. But it also can be a curse. And I want to try to approach that from a developmental standpoint today, and I'll do that more as we get going through the podcast. But I want to start with this quiz, and I want you to be brutally honest with yourself. All right. Number one, is criticism is criticism instantly toxic for you? Number two, were you the golden child? Did people actually refer to you as kind of the hero or the favored or the featured? Did everyone know that you were kind of better, whatever that means, than your siblings? Were you the firstborn? Were you the oldest child or the oldest son or oldest daughter? But especially just the general firstborn. Did you always get good grades? Were you that person that busted the curve in class? Um, these days that would be over 4.0. Back in my day that would be someone close to a 4.0. Have you always gotten good grades? Is one of the first things that you talk about your work, your title, your position, what you do. Next, how do you, f how do you feel when you have failed or you appear to have failed? How do you feel when you have failed or appear to have failed? The next one gets intensely personal. If you're married, does your spouse get tired of constantly having to give you affirmation for what you do, who you are, how you work? Or if you're single, your friends or your staff, is there a regular routine where you need a lot of affirmation? Now, I don't know who's ever going to raise their hand to this because this is a hard one to admit, but do you envy those that get more attention than you? More screen time, more face time, more time on stage, more time in the spotlight. Next one. Do you get swamped frequently with the thought of everything that you have to do personally and professionally? And does the weight of that make you anxious or depressed? or just feel scattered because there is always so much to do. And the last question, I believe, is the most piercing question, and that is, is loneliness a significant part of your life, of your days, your weeks, seasons in your life? Whether you have a lot of people around you or not, is loneliness a companion for you? 
So what's the background for this talk today about the giftedness of the, of the hero child or, or the golden child as it's sometimes called? So I'll give you a little um, a free developmental psychology uh, lecture. <laughs> it's gonna take just a few minutes. So in the 1960s and 1970s, a lot of researchers looked at alcoholic family systems because there were lots of treatment centers for alcoholic families in the US. And they found that when they treated the dependent person, the person who was drinking, just by him or herself, that treatment was somewhat effective when they treated the dependent. Then what they found is when they treated the co-dependents, the people in family with the addict or the alcoholic, that things tended to get better because the therapist could help the dynamics within the whole system. And what we found is that there were frequently some really predictable roles that people took up in dysfunctional family systems. The first one I've already been talking about is the hero child. The idea is that kids take stress and they will act out in various ways to reduce stress in the system. That was the original theory. So the hero child tries to do everything perfectly so that everything will be okay. The next one is the lost child. And this is the child that because of the chaos in the family just is quietly not seen often middle-borns, often shy. These are the kids that have friends we don't even know about and hobbies we don't even know about. My favorite one of all is the rebel child. Um, favorite because I kind of envied rebels. I was a hero child. I kind of envied rebels because I thought, what would that be like to just be the rebel and not do things you're supposed to do? I remember in sixth grade, uh, it was time to take out a clean sheet of paper for a quiz in my class. And Mr. R, the teacher, said, all right, get out a clean sheet of paper. And Joe Cook did not get out a clean sheet of paper. And I thought the world was going to come to an end because I didn't know you could just ignore an authority figure. And that day, I saw my first true rebel child. He just didn't do it. Now, a week later, he was moved into Mr. G's class instead of Mr. R's class. So those are the main three... Um, caricatures that we see in dysfunctional family systems. There are a couple of others I'll mention briefly. Um, one is a peacemaker slash counselor, that they are really good at taking care of settling disputes and calming people down and helping people hear each other. Uh, my second favorite one is the fifth one, and it is the, um, the family clown. Um, often the youngest, often very bright, often really funny, and sometimes too funny for their own good. So, what we found though, as research continued, is it's not just dysfunctional families that spin off these kinds of characters, as boys and girls. It's functional families, it's loving families that have the same kind of tendencies. So I grew up in a fairly functional family system, and yet my sister and I both, because there's six years between us, both ended up kind of being hero children. My sister's six years older than I, and she was a hero child. I come along and I'm like her, a hero child, trying to do everything well or as close to perfectly as possible. And the problem with deeply ingrained patterns is that they're really hard to change. Sometimes we think if we change externals that it will change internals. So we try to change our lists or how we manage our time or we go to a seminar or we read a book. And yet, what I believe with all my heart is that the internal structure, the internal wiring, our, our, our deepest parts of our soul and personality are really challenging to change. 
so like I said, even in a in a healthy family system, you can have kids that are drawn to be a rebel or drawn to silence or are drawn to performance. And so here's one of the problems with performance-based leaders is we have had a really good run having our worth and our identity revolve around doing things well. We're often gifted communicators, problem solvers, we're often strategic thinkers. We see into in, and have insights into things that other people don't. We walk into a room and can read it instantly, as can the clown child. And we just always seem older than we really were, if you've heard that, right? When you were 16, people called you, you know, a little old man or a wise soul. Or you've always had an easier time talking to people that are a lot older than you. These are all traits and characteristics of someone who grew up in a featured position as the hero child. And it's hard to get rid of that part of our personality. Uh, one of the people I always thought got uh, kind of got the short end of the stick in the New Testament was Martha. When Mary and Martha are there preparing for um, you know, an event, and we have this famous, Martha, Martha, what are you doing? Why are you worrying? This, this famous phrase that you're doing the things that you feel are important, yet Mary's doing the important thing, being with me, loving me. That's the general gist from a lot of different translations. But I always felt offended on Martha's behalf. It's like Martha, Martha was checking off things. She was cleaning, straightening, cooking, whatever she was doing, she was doing all the right things and probably for the right reasons in her mind. And yet Mary comes along and worships and adores Jesus. And he said the true value is in the worship, in the adoration, in the loving, not the doing. And as doers, and as leaders that are competent, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> I don't think that someone should get the spotlight if they're not doing good things, right? That's, that's sort of how we feel internally. People shouldn't be rewarded if they're not working hard. That's, that's an American maxim. It's just part of our culture. You should be rewarded for working hard. And if you work hard, good things should happen. I don't know how the lottery fits into all that, but occasionally somebody gets incredibly lucky. But in general, right, you're supposed to have work, then rewards. Well, this sermon is kind of writing itself as I'm laying the groundwork for what we need to do or do differently as leaders. But it is excruciating for leaders to come to a point in their life where they realize this system of work for rewards and reward-oriented behavior that this system no longer works or has become exhausted or is just cumbersome. One of my most powerful memories from college was the very first test that I took. I went to a Christian college. I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. So I went to a Christian college and one of my classes was Old Testament survey. And it seemed pretty basic. I felt like when I sat in class, I understood everything we were talking about. I didn't bother with reading the book, which that's a mistake with a textbook. And I remember as prepared for my first college test, it was in that class, an Old Testament survey, and I thought, I don't need to study. So I spent time with the girl I was dating, and I spent time playing soccer, uh, and I didn't study. 
And I knew I was in trouble when, after leaving the class, walking with my classmates back toward our dorm, one, one, one guy in the class said to another guy right in front of me on our walk, um, Tim said to the, we'll call the other guy, other guy, Tim said to the other guy, hey, what did you get on those two trick questions? And that's when my blood ran cold and I thought, I didn't know there were trick questions. And I thought, I don't think I did as well on that test as I thought I did. Test comes back a few days later. Written across the top of the test in red marker was, what happened? Question mark, 67. Now, here's a little part of the story that's even worse. My father happened to be on the board of trustees of that college and knew my professor. And I was uh, humiliated at the thought that somehow my parents would find out that I got a 67. Because I didn't get 67s on things, well, except for algebra, but it's algebra. Right, my whole life I've gotten good grades. And here is my first college test and I get a 67. As achievers, as, as hero children, as overachievers, we all have moments like that that are still scars in our memory because they were moments when our identity was tarnished, our reputation was damaged, our feelings about ourself, myself, were hatcheted. And so the, the giftedness that comes with being a hero child is you can accomplish great things. So if you're a pastor, you know you can grow churches. You can teach and speak well. You can move things along strategically. If you're a leader in a nonprofit, you know how to get people to do the right things. You speak well. You put together great presentations. You're well-liked. But the underbelly for each and every one of us is, as hard as we try, we're not perfect. And in our lives and in our work, we have all gotten some 67s. And sometimes we've gotten 37s. And maybe once we didn't even get a score on a test. It was that bad. Now, obviously, I'm talking about more than just a test. But for a hero child, the person that has always been good at everything, the person that's always had a big trophy chest and medals that they can wear and labels and identities, person who's renowned for their goodness and giftedness, failure is not just demotivating, it's catastrophically demotivating. When I interviewed 2,200, surveyed rather, when I surveyed 2,200 pastors as I spoke about depression in ministry, one of the questions um, had three parts in, in that survey. And I asked pastors if they identified with any of these three roles, the hero child, the lost child, or the rebel child. That was part of the presentation on depression. Over 80% of the pastors nationwide that, that I surveyed, personally surveyed, over 80% identified as a hero child. About 10% uh, as rebels and a little under 10% as lost. Predominant score, predominant answer, by far, was the people in ministry that were going to this seminar, maybe 17 different churches, most of us would identify ourselves as strong leaders that have always been strong leaders. 
So let me talk about it in a little more detail. Who is the hero child? What are some other characteristics that you and I possess? One is intelligence. Whether or not it becomes a 4.0, there is a raw intelligence that God has given us that not everyone possesses. We are attentive. We tend to notice more things about the place around us, the people around us, and the dynamics in the room. I said earlier, can you read the room when you walk into it? My experience with um, counselor kids, right, the peacemaker that I mentioned earlier, and definitely with hero children, is we can pick up on strife, anxiety, and discord in an instant when we walk into a room. Other people may be oblivious, but we can feel it, we can see it, and we can sense it in our gut. We are hyper-responsible and overly conscientious. If we forget to do one thing out of 10, we are very upset. If we're supposed to do 15 things for an authority figure and we forget to do one or two of them, it's as if we haven't done any of them. So there's responsible, then there's hyper-responsible and hyper-conscientious where any failure at all becomes toxic, suffocating, creates a kind of panic. Another thing we have in common is that we're pretty well-liked. Most people like us most of the time. I remember early in my career, I had somebody in my workplace that I could just tell didn't like me very much. And I went to my supervisor and I said, hey, this, uh, this person in this other department, seems like no matter what I do, she doesn't like me. And I, I can't figure out for the life of me what I did or didn't do. And my supervisor, who was very wise, looked at me and said, well, Paul, it's possible that in life, not everyone will like you. And she must have gone home like chuckling to herself that day because that is the truth. And yet here's the, here's the crazy making part. Hero children try anyway. I know pastors that have been voted into churches with 95 plus percent of congregational votes and yet they spend emotional energy on who were the 3% that didn't vote me in. And some go so far as to try to figure it out long after the vote. My feeling is, if you're in the 80 to 85% range, you're killing it. You're doing well. It's impossible to please everybody all the time. And yet, hero children are wired to do just that. To make everybody happy. To make everyone satisfied. To not ruffle feathers. To lead. To please. To perform. And to get the adulation back. One of the things I liked when I was a youth pastor was to have hero kids in my youth group many, many years ago because they were a dream. Uh, hero kids that came to youth group were there early. They stayed late. They helped set up chairs. They would run things. They would, they would co-lead, <laughs> meaning they would tell people when to be quiet or when to speak up. It was like having another adult with you. But the problem is they're not another adult. When we were kids, we traded the freedom and fun and joy of childhood for the reward of being known as gifted, smart, talented leaders. And we traded in freedom and creativity and peace and deep breathing for stress and a title and being called on and being put on stage probably too early. And we built 
trophy cases for ourselves that have a lot of stuff in there. But you know you're a hero child when no matter how many trophies are in the case, you know you need that one more. I just need that one extra one. I didn't get Teacher of the Year twice. I didn't get Funniest Person even once. I didn't get Top, whatever it is, right? Think about your area and whatever Top looks like. So Hero Kryptonite is a real thing. For hero pastors and hero leaders and hero teachers and hero therapists, uh, we have kryptonite, and, the, and by far the towering one above all of them is criticism. Back in the day of handwritten comment cards in churches, I knew two churches of very large churches who were so damaged by even the smallest of critiques, two, two big churches in the West, not super close to here, but, but on the West Coast. Both of these churches have one thing in common. The senior pastor was not allowed to see any of those negative comment cards because when they did, each of these men would spiral. And everyone hated that. Uh, the pastor, the pastor's family, the senior staff. It was miserable for everyone. So they just quit letting the senior pastor see even the slightest bit of critique and criticism because it's so devastating to people who have built our worth on performing. Let me say that again. If your worth is built on performance, then it makes sense that the most harmful thing that can happen to you is that someone criticize who you are, what you did, what you said, what you didn't say, what you didn't do. So almost every leader I know during COVID got beat up because they were to this or to that. And people said and did awful things to them, and it was kryptonite. Many, many, many college presidents and pastors right now have little, small, not capital, but small P, PTSD from all the criticism that they faced from people inside the circle and outside the circle. People they trusted, people they didn't know very well. Criticism is just incredibly toxic. The second thing that is kryptonite is failure, whether it is real or perceived. If I think I have failed, or if I think you think I have failed, that's almost as bad as criticism. The idea that you would know about my 67 is terrifying. That you would know I slipped, that I erred, that I wandered in any area is kryptonite. Here's one that probably will feel familiar. Hero children hate, hate it when they're not in the in-group. One of the things that we have in common as hero children is we will work harder just so that we can be on the in-group. Um, there is some really good research on in-group, out-group um, called uh, exchange theory. And it's a fascinating theory and they look at just these dynamics of in-group an outgroup. And the goal is to try to make everyone the in-group, but the reality is that we know not everybody is in the in-group. Hero children will do whatever they can. They will do whatever they have to do to be in the in-group. More kryptonite. This one is very subjective, but you'll know what I mean when I say it. It's kryptonite for a hero child when they're working in an organization where someone appears to be an even better hero. 
the worst possible thing for a hero is to be displaced by another hero. So sometimes you're the favorite whatever on staff and along comes a new, different, unique person that displaces you and that is incredibly harmful and wounds us. You know what really, really upsets us? Just like Martha with Mary, what really upsets us as hero children is when messy people get too much attention, which means any attention at all, right? The hero leader thinks that because I have done all of these things so well, I should get what I deserve. The promotion, the adulation, the whatever, fill in the blank. And along comes a messy person and people are fawning over him or her. And that, that is unjust. That is Mary and Martha in a nutshell. I get you, Martha. I, I know exactly how you're feeling. It's supposed to work in our mind, right? In our immature mind that I did all the right things so I should get all the love. I did all the right steps. I said all the right things to everyone, but I didn't get what was supposed to come to me. So here's the problem for those of you that listen to this podcast who are pastors. And those of you managing a lot of people. If you're a hero child and you're a pastor or you're managing a lot of people or both, you are never going to be able to win your job. It's impossible because no matter how you craft a talk, a message, a lecture, a series, a staff meeting, no matter how carefully you craft it, someone is likely going to be unhappy or upset or have their feathers ruffled. Even if you think it was innocuous, even if you thought it was totally encouraging, it's likely that in most of our interactions with groups, someone didn't love it. So I knew when I was a professor for many years that if I had a class of 30, this is not hypothetical, I'll tell it this way. When I had a class of 30 and I got my student reviews back, I will never forget the year I got 28 very strong reviews, very positive. I got one that was okay-ish. And one that was so caustic, so mean-spirited, that I still to this day can remember some phrases that the student had handwritten in on this survey. It was all handwritten. No names, but handwritten. And to my discredit, because I knew that student and I knew her handwriting, I took that 30th survey and I crumpled it up and I threw it in the trash because I did not feel that in any way it was fair or represented me fairly. Looking back, I know that what I did was wrong. I should have included it and trusted the dean over me to look at it all with a grain of salt, all the, all the glowing and all the horrible. Because the truth is, one out of X or Y number is probably always going to be unhappy with us. I've got about 150 employees that work here, and I, I will just be transparent with you on any given day. A few of them are probably really unhappy with me from, from how we park people on campus to a policy, to a benefit, 
to pay whether I didn't say hello nicely enough to them. It could be anything. On any given day, it's not great to know that a few people uh, probably aren't, as my uh, group and I would say in high school, probably aren't digging my chili. I don't know what that means, but, but you know what it means in context. I also realized all those years in the classroom that that life sort of did operate on a bell curve. Um, I knew that when I gave 45 lectures in a class, 45 separate lectures over the course of 15 weeks, after I did it a few years, I realized that it was a bell curve and a couple of those lectures would be really very, very good. What took me longer to realize is no matter how hard I tried, out of 45 lectures, a couple were going to be really bad. I had a lecture one time that was so catastrophically bad, and I was so unprepared in a new course, that about halfway through the lecture, I started sweating, the flop sweats, and, and my body became <laughs> drenched because nothing was working. I, I had not prepared well enough. And a little bit older student came up to me after class, and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Dr. Alexander, are you okay? <laughs> the longer I taught, the more I realized there are going to be days that I just whiff. And there are going to be days that are so special and sacred, they feel like they're divinely inspired, where time kind of stands still. And then most days are in the middle somewhere. That is a hard thing for us to learn. That is a really hard thing for us to learn. That sometimes it's good, sometimes it's great, sometimes it's fair, and every now and then, as hard as we may try to do otherwise, we will fall on our face. So what is the overall develop developmental need of the hero child leader? I'll tell you in part two. <laughs>